So welcome to the ESPN Player Gridiron College Football Show. I'm Simon Clancy along with Matthew Sherry. So last week, numbers 2, 6, 7 and 9 all went down in an incredible shake-up Saturday. That led to shake-up Sunday in the polls and we'll talk about that shortly. We'll discuss our own top 10 which we launched this week in the Clancy on Campus column. Let's try saying that after a couple of drinks. We'll ask if Oregon deserve a shot and preview a massive slate of games coming up this weekend. Matthew, it was a huge shake-up Saturday. We launched our uh, Gridiron Top 10 because we're into the meat of the season now. We thought we'd, uh, we'd we'd run with our Top 10 as how we saw it. At 10, we had Oklahoma, 9, UCF, 8, Oregon, 7, Texas. Oregon obviously beat Washington, that thriller in overtime. 7, Texas, who held on desperately uh, and came back to, to win at the end against Baylor, holding on with those three uh, passes into the end zone that, that the Bears had at the end of the game. Michigan, who walloped Wisconsin in a hugely impressive uh, performance at six. Five, Clemson, who are idle. Four, Notre Dame, who just about beat Pittsburgh. That's your beautiful touchdown pass from Ian Book, if you missed it. LSU, who stomped all over Georgia, becoming the first top ten, first team this season to beat three top ten teams. We'll discuss LSU's positioning in our poll vis-a-vis the AP and the coaches' poll in a sec. Number three, LSU. Then number two, Ohio State. And number one, Alabama, who are essentially number one, Matt, aren't they? Because they were number one coming into the season. They haven't really beaten anybody of note. You know, LSU's schedule, for example, is infinitely tougher so far. Alabama are sort of beating cupcakes, yet, you know, Bama stay number one because they're unbeaten. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think it's... It's a historical ranking as much as as anything as well because they've been so dominant now for for so many seasons and I would usually disagree with that quite heavily but I, I do think that they've earned the right to get an exception to that rule because I mean every year we see that they are so good and even last season when when really they were they were quite fortunate to even make it into the playoff last year it was a really tight decision for the committee between them and Ohio State. But Bama get in and they end up winning it all. So in the end, the ends justify the means. So I, I, I agree with it. I mean, and they've been so dominant as well. I mean, it's not like, you know, it, I know they haven't played the best schedule, but they've 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 kind of brushed everyone aside so emphatically that it, it's so difficult with the history and with with the way it looks to uh, to to go against them at the moment. Absolutely, a couple of games last night. Uh... Justice Hansen threw three touchdown passes, ran for two more, helping Arkansas State to beat Georgia State 51-35. A much bigger game, Stanford beat Arizona State 20-13 on the road. KJ Costello threw for 231 yards and a touchdown. Stanford, Matt, remained kind of in the thick of the Pac-12 North Division race with that win last night. Yeah, and, the, and that win against Oregon now, who looked like the, the class of that that division was looks huge. I mean, that was a, a win that they really pulled from from the jaws of defeat on the road and they may look back on that as the, as the win that drives them to a to a division title because I, I actually think Oregon are, are a team that, that without that loss you, you, you're backing them as a potential playoff contender with how they've looked so so yeah that might actually go down as one of the most significant games and Arizona State are a are a fascinating team to me because I think that puts them back to 500. But mm. actually, every game they've been in has been a close game. So I think Arizona State is a good win for Stanford. They're, they're a pretty good team. That, that The record doesn't necessarily show just how good they've been. Let's talk about Oregon, and we'll start by doing it through the medium of the polls. Let's look at the two of them, the AP and the coaches' top 25. And we'll go from sort of 12 down. We did 10 with our gridiron poll but let's do 12 on both sides so the ap i'll give the ap first the coaches poll second so in the ap poll at 12 it's oregon uh, in the coaches poll it's 
Florida. They're, they're, they're essentially flipped because the AP then have Florida at 11 and Oregon at 11 in the coaches poll. AP then has UCF, Oklahoma, Georgia, Texas at 7, Michigan 6, LSU at 5. We have them at 3, LSU at 5. And then the top four of the season ended today, the playoff would be Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama. That's the AP poll, the coaches poll then. Florida 12, Oregon 11, Oklahoma, UCF, Texas at 8. There are 7 in the AP. Uh, Michigan at 7, there are 6 in the AP. Georgia are the one team that sort of gets in the middle in the coaches poll. So Georgia at 6, there are 8 in the AP poll. And then the top five remains the same, LSU at 5. And the playoff, if it were to start today, would be Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama. Oregon, Matt. They are five and one. They beat uh, a Washington team. Um, you know, we've discussed the, the merits of the Pac-10, uh, the Pac-12, um, throughout the season and the strength of it. Oregon essentially beat a good Washington side in a good game, an exciting game. The Stanford defeat, obviously, uh, still can't work out how they managed to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory because they were essentially thirty-one-seven up at one point and managed to lose. The one issue, I suppose, for them is when you ask whether or not they can get in, even if they win the, the, the championship game, the, the the conference championship game, they've got zero non-quality conference wins at this stage, haven't they? At uh, this stage, haven't they? And they sort of bumbled their way through a sort of early season cupcake schedule. Portland State, Bowling Green, San Jose State. Mario Cristobal has done a great job, but they haven't played a Power 5 opponent out of conference, have they? And despite that, the closeness of that defeat to Stanford, that one loss will barring significant drama now in the top five, especially when you see Texas moving up, you see Michigan moving up, we'll see them miss out because actually, and it's a shame because actually the Ducks are one of the one of the better looking teams, certainly on offense, but they've got a good defense too. And they would be a matchup for most teams, wouldn't they? Yeah, I mean, I think they're a much better team than Notre, Notre Dame. Oh, interesting. Um, as, as a certainty. So, yeah, it's a frustrating one really because at the end of the day, the committee really have to go on what you've done rather than just the eye test. And for me, the eye test would tell me that Oregon are a better side than Notre Dame. I mean, Interesting to say really that, handle... because obviously Notre Dame beat your Michigan team, who now look like a powerhouse. Do you think that... Yeah, think I'm, that... I'm just, I think they caught Michigan at a really great time. I mean, that was that was week one with a quarterback who who is so different to what Michigan have had before. So they were feeling their way into that. Um I don't want to say it was a lucky win, but they got up early in the game by essentially heaving the ball downfield and, and making a couple of great plays unexpectedly. And really, from then on, it was a really close game. I just think they caught Michigan at a great time. And we see that every single year in the in the season, Simon. We see, we see really good teams struggle in the early weeks. I mean, we see it in the NFL as well. It's just tough to... It's tough to build a programme around such a big game in week one. And I, suppose, I, I just think I that was the, the perfect storm. I suppose the flip side of that is that Notre Dame were playing Brandon Wimbush. Now, Ian Book has yep. come in and has performed like a legitimate Heisman candidate. Um, so, you know, it's kind of swings and roundabouts when you look at that first game. Yep, I think you can absolutely make the argument that they caught them a bit unawares. But, you know, nobody's mistaking Brandon Wimbush for a particularly efficient college quarterback, whereas Book... Looks like he's got some NFL potential, um, and as I said, is a, a, a I think a legitimate Heisman candidate this year. Yeah, I mean, and and, and it's just a feeling really on Notre Dame because you can't you can't really argue against what they've done. I mean, they were pushed very close last week. They could have easily lost to a bad Pitt team, but Pitt are always a team that I said a few weeks ago. They usually put one upset a year on the board, Pitt, so that can happen. Um, but I, it's just a feeling I have. I, I just do not think Notre Dame... I can see Notre Dame getting in the playoff and getting embarrassed in the semi-final. I really can. I can see that happening. 
Whereas I think Oregon are a great matchup for any team, but it's the it's the nature of that loss that kills Oregon, and and you could argue it shouldn't because they dominated the game and it was ludicrous the manner in which they lost it. But you can't lose at home to a to a fringe ranked team and expect to get in the playoff. I mean, and the problem for for them as well is you know Michigan if they win the Big Ten then you can't argue with that if. LSU with one loss wins the SEC. You can't argue with that. The, the quality of the conferences that they're in and the, and the wins that you have to get to win those conferences is huge. And I think everybody's down in the Pac-12s, and I think with good reason. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think that... Did they win a bowl game last year? They certainly, if they did, won hardly any. There was a, a big storyline in the off-season. So it's hard to forget that, and it's hard to forget how, how bad the Pac-12 have looked when they've come up against... Schools from other conferences that are that are powerhouses. So, I think the conference works against them more than anything. To be honest, so LSU they absolutely curb stomped Georgia. I mean, it was thirty eight sixteen and wasn't nearly as close as that, um, and could have been significantly worse. We've talked for a while about how um, essentially the road to the, the the national championship goes through Baton Rouge, and it certainly does now. But back to back now. They have Mississippi State and Alabama, and we'll talk about certainly the Mississippi State game um, in a moment. Two questions for you. If they win both of those games, do they immediately become number one in the polls? And secondly, do you think currently in the polls they're being hard done by by their positioning, which is, as we've just discussed, fifth overall, given that they've beaten three top ten teams, Miami, Georgia, and um, Auburn at the time? Yeah, I mean, I, I would have them number two. At the moment, I mean, any any team can go in and lose in Gainesville. I mean, in a close game as well. It's not like that was a, a dominant Florida win. Um, I just don't. I just don't think Ohio State and Clemson have looked good. I mean, I'm now reaching the point, and this may be a little bit biased, that I'm absolutely convinced Michigan will beat Ohio State because they're nowhere near as good as people think they are. Their defense isn't great at all. It's only historical brilliance that makes us think they are the secondary is awful they tackle terribly they give it up points against basically everybody and and if you start to break down some of their big wins now tcu have lost three or four games now that was a really close game that tcu could have won fair enough the wideout game was impressive in terms of the atmosphere michigan state have just gone in there and beaten and, and beaten that penn state team as well and i just think week to week unless ohio state no matter who they play don't look dominant. I mean, and Dwayne Haskins is getting so much love and everybody's saying he should be in the Heisman mix. He was absolutely awful against Penn State. And and, and we talked after that game about how we think that good teams can really get after him and get in his face. There's not a defence that's more capable of doing that than Michigan's. I, I think Michigan's toughest game on the on the schedule, actually, is, the, is coming up this weekend yeah, against too. Michigan State. I really think... If they can get through this weekend, I think they'll beat Penn State at home. Again, me and you are going to be at Simon. Um, And then I genuinely think that that Michigan have the formula to beat this Ohio State team. I really, really do. So I don't think Ohio State have been great. I don't think Clemson have been great. And Clemson have a really tough game this week against NC State, which I think could be an under-the-radar huge game on Saturday. Um, I think LSU, you just can't argue with it. I mean, at the end of the day, you look at it. Even Alabama, as we've said, have played nobody. I get that LSU have lost a game, but they have played a murderous roast schedule so far. Seven of those games, I mean, you're looking at what? Four of them have been against top-quality opposition, and they've won three of them, losing one on the road. 
I think it's really harsh that LSU aren't ranked aren't ranked in the top two. I really do. I think yeah, there is no way that you can look at LSU. If you say to me tomorrow, Simon, after what they've just done to Georgia, LSU versus Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State on a neutral field tomorrow, who are you going with? I'm backing LSU in every one of those Oh, me games. too. Me too. 100%. Based on what we've seen so far, and that's that's how the rankings should be done. It should be based on what we've seen. So, yeah, I think that I think that they're very much undervalued in terms of what they've done. And, uh, no, I, I mean, just wanted to mention that I also going back to your previous point about Michigan and Ohio State. I think Michigan will beat Ohio State as well. I don't, uh, and actually, I don't think it will be. I think what will be close. I don't think it would be a close game if it wasn't for the fact that the two teams are so inextricably linked. Do you see what I mean? I think, yeah, you know, yeah those, those games are very rarely blocked. Yeah, exactly. But I, I do think Michigan would would come out on top. Do you think... Let, let, let's look ahead to, to, to this weekend's games because there's so many fascinating matchups, um, And I really want to start with, with what I think could be could be the upset special of the weekend and really throw the cat amongst the playoff pigeons, which is um, 16th-ranked NC State against Clemson. Um, yeah. Uh, number three, Clemson, NC State... Clemson coming off the bye week. Now, you know, if you've not seen NC State recently, good team. Obviously, Bradley Chubb went to the to the NFL. They've never, ever finished in the AP top 10 ever in their history. Yet, you know, quarterbacks in the past by Philip Rivers and, and Russell Wilson, Roman Gabriel, all those, you know, great players. Torrey Holt obviously was at, was, was at NC State. Ryan Finley now is the quarterback. Lots of people have talked about him as a potential a potential NFL passer, veteran guy, you know, quick release, wealth of options at receiver. The running game is beginning to get going with with, with Reggie Gillespie and, and, and Ricky Person. Um, defensively, they are strong and very strong in the in the red zone. I think they're they're one of the best teams in the nation in, in red zone defense. They're first in turnover rate inside the red zone in terms of getting the ball back, and a very strong front seven with James Smith Williams and Laurel Murchison at defensive end, and Jermaine Pratt, the sort of senior linebacker in the middle, who's who's had a really good season. I think it will be a very very difficult game for Clemson. I know Clemson a favourite. Um, and I think it's. I think Vegas opened the line at fourteen, maybe fourteen and a half. I, I think. Um, I think the Wolfpack will will have a chance to shake up the national title race here. Yeah, and, and we're into that stretch of the season now. I mean, last week was my favourite week of the season so far because I feel like right on schedule around this point in the year, the upsets start to happen, and you often get a Saturday like last week where. There could be five potential upsets on the board halfway through these games, and then then it, it it generally reduces. So a team like Notre Dame pulls it out at the end. Ohio State turn around a first half deficit, and you don't get as many as you think, but you get enough. And I, and I think this week could be similar. And this is the game I'm looking at because, I mean, you mentioned Ryan Finley. He's got a real opportunity here to to put himself squarely in the NFL frame because these are the kind of games that scouts look at against higher level of competition. And, and frankly, the, the Clemson secondary has looked gettable this year. I mean, they've got a great defensive line, but their secondary has been exploitable throughout the season. And Finley has an opportunity to really put himself in the shop window here. And it, it'd be so exciting if he takes it. I think it's a huge game for our guy, Trevor Lawrence, as well. Mm. He's had the bye week now. He is the starter. He's kind of locked the job in. And it's time for him to go from true freshman Trevor Lawrence, who's a little bit raw, to this kid who we all think is going to be an absolute superstar at every level of football. And, and I think this is a game where you'd like to see an unbeaten team coming into your building. 
you would like to see a performance from him. And especially if the running game gets shut down from NC State, which I hope it does. Because I really want to see Lawrence under pressure, having to drop back and pass the ball and see if he can deliver in those circumstances. I think this is this might be the most fascinating game of the week for me outside of the the Michigan-Michigan State game that I mentioned. He's got to be the, the number one high school player in America, hasn't he? He's got to come out like that, like, yeah, like that player, hasn't he? It's a game you can see on ESPN Player. Um, it's an 8.30 UK kickoff. Um, it should be a really, really fascinating, tight game. I, I, I would be very surprised if it's a, you know, a two touchdown or anything victory for, for, um, for the Tigers. Let's let, let's flip to another fascinating game, which is, you know, again a, a, a real, a real difficult balance for LSU because it's kind of the trap game in the middle of two massive games. Yeah. Georgia last week, number two Georgia, who they 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 beat convincingly Alabama next week and you know it's an incredible run of games through these three games against SEC opponents tough SEC opponents all bringing different options you got Jake from last week who who obviously although he didn't play very well has got the arm to be able to 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 stretch defenses next week they play to a tongue of Iowa who can essentially do both can manipulate the pocket make you know make yards with his feet and obviously is deadly accurate this week they're going to play Nick Fitzgerald, who who is arguably the best running quarterback in, in college football, certainly in the SEC, um, but also has a you know we've talked about it in the past intriguing NFL caliber arm. This will be a really tough game for Ed Orgeron's team, but also one where you're hoping that they're not looking ahead to next week, and I'm sure they won't do because Mississippi State is no you know no mean foe, but it, 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 you just worry that they might have half an eye on Alabama and uh, and slip up so that next week almost becomes irrelevant. The only thing I would say is that they actually have a bye next week. So they've got yeah, sorry. two yeah. weeks between this game and Bama, which I think is huge. I think that is absolutely huge because that stops happening, what I think is the fear. I think you go into this game now against a team who, Mississippi State have been probably the most interesting team this year for me because they, they started so well under a new head coach in Moorhead and, and it looked like Fitzgerald really could be that Heisman caliber guy. Then just two shocking losses against Kentucky and Florida, which the combined scored a combined 13 points. But then they go in and, and, and play Oregon this week and, and just completely dominate them, 23-9. So and it's it's not a game that LSU can afford to look past. And actually, I think the one fertile flaw in LSU that I think will be shown later in the season is I just don't see them. And George is the exception, but George was so bad in that game. I think with the formula and the way they play they're not going to blow teams out every week because it's very much ball control, it's running the ball, it's making plays when you can. Although I would say that they actually used Joe Burrow in the passing game more effectively in the last game than I thought they had all season and I thought that was a good sign for them moving forward. But So you could see this being a tight game is, is the point I'm getting to and, and, and that, that is a tricky situation. But you like to think in that building... With the prospect of a, of a one-loss LSU versus a no-loss Alabama in Baton Rouge two weeks down the line, you like to think that they'll get up for that and get the job done and set up what, frankly, is going to be the most exciting LSU-Bama game since... I remember one where AJ McCarron drove down the field and mm. with a minute left in Baton Rouge and won it yeah. to death for Bama. And, and that was when those two teams were really close and, and it's going to be that again and that's so exciting because... That atmosphere will be absolutely electric. And um, the frustrating part for me and you, Simon, is it, it's increasingly looking like... In fact, it's not because... 
I was thinking we're going to be at a game that weekend, aren't we? We're we are. going to be at Michigan Penn State. But the chances are, if this becomes prime time, so fingers crossed for LSU, we can dip out of Michigan um, Penn State and, and go and find somewhere to watch that exactly. game. Because that is so exciting. And that's what you get excited about in college football. But we're not there yet because... LSU need to get the job done. Big test. That game is also on ESPN Player this weekend, uh, midnight kickoff. So essentially you can go, if you are sad like us, you can essentially go at 8.30, NC State Clemson, straight into Mississippi State LSU, which will be an absolute uh, stonker of a a back-to-back set of fixtures. Let's have a look around uh, elsewhere because there are some other big games this weekend. We'll get to Michigan-Michigan State in a moment. Oklahoma-TCU feels like a potential trap game, although TCU have fallen off a cliff a little bit since Ohio State but you know it could be you know Gary Patterson we talk about what a great coach he is in terms of able to get teams up for games like that Alabama played Tennessee now you know I wouldn't expect Tennessee to win that but it's it's in Knoxville Tennessee a beginning to you know a statement win for Jeremy Pruitt last week um, yep. the, the biggest of his of his tenure so far his early tenure but again I would expect Alabama to not cakewalk it but comfortably win it Tua Tungavailoa is healthy he's practiced all week the knee seems fine um, so that should be fine whether or not he plays into the fourth quarter for the first time this season uh, just an astonishing you know uh, astonishing given that we're in week <laughs> eight of the season and he's not played the fourth quarter yet is a you know phenomenal really when you think about it Let, let's hope scouts are judging them on fourth quarter comebacks absolutely there aren't going to be many of those <laughs> absolutely speaking of trap games probably our favorite coach in all of college football is mike leach washington state host oregon 25th ranked washington state host 12th ranked oregon um at martin stadium in pullman um the the college game day crew will be there it's going to be a big deal this you know, as much as we talked up Oregon and as much as we talked down the Pac-12, Mike Leach is Mike Leach is Mike Leach and this could be a difficult game for the Ducks, couldn't it? Without question, I think this is one of the most fascinating games of the week again. Um, I mean, Mike Leach is three, is four points from being unbeaten this year at Washington State. Uh, I mean, they were really unlucky in that game at LSU. Uh, lost 39-36. I, I'm so impressed with what Leach has done. It's, it's, we look at now... Um, these coaches in their first year who were really struggling. Um, Scott Frost at Nebraska, the most obvious example. And when Mike Leach took over Washington State, it took two years. But it gradually started to pull around. I think there were one or two games this first year, a few more. And now they've been basically a perennial top 25 team, which, which given what he inherited, is incredible. Um, this is the year I thought they'd take a step back. Uh, they lost... Uh, Luke Falk, their, their long-term quarterback during Leach's tenure. But Gardner Minshew, the, the, the grad transfer has come in, has been great. I mean, and, and Leach just does this. He makes players better. And actually, they ended the season with even more upheaval because the, the guy who was going to replace Falk actually actually killed himself, mm. the, the backup quarterback last year. So that programme was under a real cloud entering this season. And it's been one of Leach's best coaching jobs so far. Um you feel like they need a big statement win to really cap this season. And actually, it's not just cap the season. They win this game. They're in great shape to, to win the Pac-12 as well because I think they're a lot closer to Washington than they have been previous years. I don't think Leach has beat Washington yet. So that sets up that, that game at the final week of the regular season if they can get the win here as well. And 
it's just a great one to watch. I think I said on week one of this podcast, if you don't have a team and you want to just watch a team that play exciting football, watch Washington State. And yeah. we get to see them this week in a, in a huge environment, in a, in a massive game, game day there, as you mentioned. And it should be awesome. I'm really, really looking forward to it. And... Yeah, I love Mike Leach. We need to we need to get Mike Leach we do. interviewed in this off season <laughs> and, and get him in the magazine because he's he's one of the great characters in in all of football. If you haven't read it, there's a great story on ESPN that's been around for a couple of weeks, which is essentially about um, when Mike Leach was a coaching assistant at uh, Texas, uh, Oklahoma, sorry, and um, he essentially leaves. Uh, he he comes up with a fake. Um, he comes up with a fake. Um, game plan. Game plan. Have you read the story? Comes yeah, with the I, I, know, I know of the story. La- I, I didn't know it had been written yeah. on the form, so I will read it. Laminates it, comes up with a load of plays, that, are, that some of which are in the system, some of which aren't, but kind of, um, you know, gets everything planned and that sort of thing. And then sort of accidentally on purpose drops it on the field um, in front of some Texas graduate assistants who don't stop him. Uh, and he just trots off knowing that the trap has been laid and one of them picks it up and looks at it and realises what it is and takes it straight upstairs to the, the Texas defensive coordinator and they essentially change their entire game plan because they think they've got the first 15 plays on script and so he, do- he doesn't tell anybody. Defence gets changed and so Leach then calls the plays that he planned to play nothing like the fake plays that are on the laminated thing. They go up 17 to nothing with a defense like, uh, there's, and there's some quotes from one of the def- defensive guys who's like, you know, that I've never been more confused on the football field in my entire life. I had no idea what was happening. We were being, t- and everything that Leach had said that they were going to do on this play one would be a certain play and that would mean that safeties would come up and, you know, because it would be a screen or whatever. And they didn't run the screen. What they did was run kind of, you know, the deep pull. Yeah, exactly. So into the gap where the safeties would go. And it was like, it was very, very funny. They ended up losing the game, but ultimately it's a very good story and it's just so standard Mike Leach. Gardner Minshaw is a fascinating character. You, you mentioned in the Washington State quarterback. He really was the, the right guy to step in and take over. You know, after Luke Falk graduated, uh, you know, he threw, I think he's thrown 400 yards in his, in four of his last five games. He's a 70% completion percentage QB, 19 touchdown passes, just four interceptions, and they've had the week off to prepare for this game. Um, you know, I don't think the, I don't think the Oregon secondary will, will have seen anything like him, actually. And you know what intrigues me about this kid? He's, apparently he's incredibly, um, smart. He is absurdly smart in terms of intelligence and football intelligence. He was a verbal commitment to play at Alabama behind, uh, um, not not necessarily because he play ahead of Jalen Hurts or, or or Tua, but because Nick Saban apparently promised him he could become a graduate assistant and get a start in coaching. In the end, that didn't play out, and he got his chance to play at Washington State, and obviously he's taken full advantage of it. And what I think works for Washington State is that last season, when Luke Falk left, he'd been sacked 126 times in his career, which is an astonishing number for for a quarterback in any system. Uh, Minshaw has only been sacked five times in six games, which means that they're keeping him upright and they're allowing him to deliver strikes around the field. I think this as well could be an upset, you know, an upset game. And I, I don't want to say it feels like you know early knockings of Patrick Mahomes when we talked about Mahomes at Texas Tech because he's not certainly not in that caliber, but he is an intriguing quarterback who Oregon will need to be all over from start to finish because this Wazoo team is strong, isn't it? It is, yeah. I, I, I just, I, I agree. I think, and that's a really tough road environment to play, and that's the, especially a night game like this. The atmosphere there will be absolutely awesome in in Pullman. So, yeah, it's it's going to be 
it's going to be a, an interesting one. I think there's a few this week, though. I genuinely think Purdue might 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 beat um, Ohio State at home. Do you? Yeah, I mean, they they had a really bad start of the season. Um, they lost their first three, but they're three and three again now. They've actually looked more and more impressive with each passing week. Um, I, I've got a I've got a little feeling, and they've got a great coach as well. Jeff Brom is one mm. of the best young coaches in college football, and and maybe actually probably with Ryan Day, the next guy who will get the step up job in the off season. So. It could be a signature moment for him, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if they won that. If they won that game, it's 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 under lights again, which is huge at home. And and I just think Ohio State are incredibly vulnerable. Um, sorry, that's my phone. Um, yeah, I just think Ohio State are incredibly vulnerable, and I, and I think teams have teams have shown that basically every week now. And I mean, against bad teams as well. I mean, Minnesota. Last week, they're not a good team. And Ohio State were losing to them at halftime. That could be... It's a, it, it's obviously more chance Ohio State win than not. But if you're looking for a game that could give a massive upset, that's the one for me. Mm. Let's get to the biggest game of the week then. Michigan-Michigan State should be an absolute uh, an absolute doozy. Like you said, Michigan State coming off uh, the win against Penn State with Brian Lewerke throwing the, the, the touchdown, the 25-yard touchdown to win the game with 19 seconds left last week. It will be intriguing for people that don't really know much about Michigan State because they stumbled out the blocks and they almost became an irrelevance from the get-go after that defeat to Arizona State. But you know that it will be a this will be a fascinating battle because what Michigan seems to have done right now is found an offensive formula, which is running the ball, especially with Karan Higdon. But you know Chris Evans, the rest of the guys there, getting Shea Patterson out on the edge with those RPOs. Um, we even saw we even saw backup quarterback uh, Dylan McCaffrey scampering for a forty-four yard touchdown uh, against Wisconsin. So that's that that's hardball ball, isn't it? That's you know control the clock, run the ball. They're going up against a team, the Spartan team, which is one of the best front sevens in in America, giving up just sixty-two point three yards per game on the ground. A lot of teams this season, I've seen a few Michigan State games. A lot of teams have virtually abandoned the run against them. Um, I think it's the third lowest nationally in terms of um, uh, attempts per game against the, that defense. Uh, Miles Sanders obviously had a very good game last week, but generally they've they, they've not given up yards. Yards. Uh, Kenny Willickis, the, the defensive end, has got five sacks, nine tackles for a loss. Raycon Williams looks a really good defensive tackle with NFL um, NFL potential. Uh, Joe Backey, the the linebacker. Uh, the secondary is the one area that you think actually, and a bit like last week against Wisconsin, although actually Michigan ran the ball so well. But the secondary's had its issues. Josiah Scott is going to be out. Do you think that Harbaugh will just hammer the run, hammer the run, hammer the run, even if there's no success? Or do you think they will come in with a different game plan, which will be to try and take advantage of that that struggling secondary? Yeah, I mean, it's a tricky one because Michigan have actually run the ball really well the last few weeks. And... And and the offensive line coach now, who was new this year, um, Ed Warner, is really starting to have an impact on on the Michigan offensive line. It, we saw the teething problems in week one against Notre Dame, but they've got better every single week. They've simplified things, and that was what he came in to do. Their protection schemes were far too complicated in previous years. And that's led to them having this really balanced attack. And I think they'll try that early. I think they will run the ball early, and I think they'll give it a chance. But... This is the advantage of having Shea Patterson ahead of any of the quarterbacks that they've had in the in the Harbour era. 
This is a game that they would have lost in previous years, guaranteed, because they'd have tried to run the ball throughout the game. It wouldn't work. They'd be in third and long, and they wouldn't have a quarterback who could make plays in that situation. They don't need to protect Patterson in the same way. And actually, they're increasingly just giving him more and more freedom to, to make plays and be the guy that's, that he's coming to be. So this you said that one of your phrases is the bell tolls for, for whoever. The bell tolls for Shea Patterson this week. Mm. This is the week where... And, and, and Michigan have been awful in this rivalry. I think they're I think the 2-8 and eight in the last 10 meetings. D'Antonio's had their number, but he's had the number of a team who had a very specific formula that, that I, I think that... They have a much better formula this year. They have more balance. But I, I could see them running the ball more than other teams as well, just because of how in sync their offense has been over the last few weeks. So I'd, I'd look for Michigan to start the game trying to run the ball, but I don't think they'll be frightened to turn the ball over to Patterson. And, and that's that's an option that they really haven't had in, in the last few years. The Mark D'Antonio factor is fascinating here, isn't it? Because he is a, he's a really, really good coach. But what he does is that his team show this kind of consistent ability to to stay in the fight on the big stages, don't they, against the big teams. You'll see them slip up against the Arizona States, then they turn around and beat the Penn State or they beat Michigan or, or whatever. And they sort of, they kind of fluster opponents, don't they, into doing things that are a bit out of character. They lull teams to sleep with this sort of conservative play, conservative play. And then all of a sudden, D'Antonio, you know, there's a fake punt or a half-back pass or a flea flicker that turns the game around. And his teams always come into games like this one, specifically this one, really, with a kind of laser focus, isn't it? It's the biggest game on their schedule, and it's executed as such more often than not. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that captures Michigan State out over the years is the kind of the ugly sister of that recruiting area. So Mm. they're always taking slightly lesser quality guys, and in the end, that catches up with them. But in terms of game planning for one specific game, there are a few coaches better in, in college football, and particularly particularly in the conference, because they're a team that's built to play in their own conference. All of these conferences are slightly different. This conference is, is all about the lines, and it's cold weather, it's running games, it's defence, and, and they're built to play like that, whereas obviously we see in kind of the Big 12, it's a totally different, it's offence, everybody's running all over the place. So it's it it's... They're built to play in the conference and they're built to play in the big games in the conference and that that's what makes them such a tough opponent. And also, I mean, one thing that I've mentioned, I think Michigan can go into Ohio State and win. That's predicated on the idea that they get better on the road. And Michigan's record on the road recently is absolutely dreadful. I mean, and they look bad compared to how they look in the big house. I mean, you only have to look at this season. They've played two games on the road. They lost to Notre Dame. And they were down for all of the game against um, Northwestern and, and pulled it round at the last minute. And and what you would hope as a Michigan fan is that that Northwestern game in which they did manage to to really pull it out at the end, you hope that that sends something through the locker room. Look, we can win on the road. We can win these tight games on the road. And that gives them a renewed confidence because it's, it's really bizarre how, mm. how bad it's looked on the road compared to at home. So that's something to look out for because... Both road games this year, Michigan have been down 17-20-0 early. So they need to avoid that and come out of the blocks a little bit faster. This has been one of the toughest games to pick, hasn't it, in recent memory? You know, On paper, you'd say Michigan is the better football team, but football games aren't played on paper, are they? And, and Dantoni- Not these kind of no, games, and, especially. And D'Antonio's record against Michigan is ridiculous. And, you know, I, I think both defences are top-notch. I think Michigan State's offence isn't great but the Lewerke factor it does play into it Michigan has been building 
I don't think we'd either of us would be surprised by either outcome. And it's tough to pick a game based on mind games and whatever. I think Michigan are the better team. Logically, they should win this. But as I said, I, you know, if, if, if MSU came away with a victory, I don't think either of us would be surprised, would we? I mean, it, it will be a fascinating battle. Let's have a quick look before we wrap at the Heisman. Um, where are you standing? What's your top five? I put the top five in the Clancy on Campus column. From my point of view, where are you stood? I think I'm, start, I'm starting to think that the, it, it's becoming less of a top five and more just a, a kind of a top tour, and that's it. I mean, <laughs> everybody's kind of crumbling away. I think Tua and Kyler Murray are, are, are definitely my top two. Haskins has to be in there, but he was so bad against Penn State. He's lucky to be in there. He's only in there because they're unbeaten. I, I think if, if I think if Michigan State win this week, Shea Patterson is is in the mix. Um, kind of making those big players now the 90-yard run against Wisconsin next week if he goes in and gets the win in this game. I think he works his way in, but Will Gray has fallen out of it. Um, I'd still like to put Levinska Chenault in there. I mean, he was injured, wasn't he, at the end of the game uh, this week? Yeah. So I'm not sure I mean, he still had a decent, he had a decent game. Great. I'll have a look in a set. I mean, I went top five was Darrell Henderson of Memphis, who had 197 yards rushing. In that incredible defeat to UCF, he had 170 yards rushing at half time. So um, that was astonishing. Lavisca Chenault, who, who was number four, and Chenault, he had 79 yards receiving. He had two runs, I think, for 49 yards, one of which was a 48 yard touchdown run, and then left late in the third quarter with a foot injury. And I'll check on that in a second. Kyler Murray at three, Dwayne Haskins at two, Tonga Viola at one. I think Ian Book really deserves to, to, to uh, mention. I think he's somebody that is coming, you know, not coming up hard on the rails because, like you say, I think. Uh, uh, Essentially, I think it's um, I think it's done and dusted anyway. But um, because I think Tunga Vilo will win, especially with the fact that he's you know looks like he's going to play this weekend against against Tennessee. But um, do you think? And I was having this conversation. I'm going to going to name drop here, doing a piece on Lavisca Chenault for the magazine and having a conversation with Desmond Howard, the Heisman Trophy winner from Michigan, and realised that Desmond was the last wide receiver to win the, the Heisman back in 1991, which seems astonishing. Do you think that essentially the Heisman has become, not a joke, obviously, but it's become slightly devalued in the fact that it's really mainly a quarterbacks and running backs award and mainly really a quarterbacks award? I mean, I think it's just a, 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 an illustration of the, the change in nature of college football more than anything. I mean, you, you look at it now and it, it's gone from kind of ground and pound option and and pro style offenses that that lean heavily on the run to to quarterbacks throwing it all over the field on on every down and you would think that helps the receiver but if it's a toss up between a great quarterback and his great receiver I mean I can think of some some awesome receivers at Alabama who were who were helping to a Tungalavilo who don't get mentioned now. Um so I think it just shows the changing game of that is college football. I think all these awards get devalued by the fact that they, they just go to quarterbacks. I actually think in the NFL and college football, they should have an MVP award that isn't for quarterbacks and just, just have another one that is. Because it, it's it's pointless, isn't it? I mean, mm. I, I was I was written a piece for the game programmes at Wembley next week on, on kind of my MVPs, and I tried to put some different guys in there. But in the end, your top three... Guys are mainly going to be quarterbacks, so I just think all these awards should should split split quarterback up. It's so different, it's so important. Leave that on its own and put the rest as a 
the rest of the positions in, in a different category. If you're new to college football and you talk about the Heisman, the Heisman is essentially the award that's given for the best player of the season, but then there are individual awards that that, that are handed out throughout the uh, at the end of the campaign. And you'll hear people mention, especially when guys go to the NFL, but you know the Bednarik Award is for the best defensive player, the Belitnikov for the best receiver named after Fred Belitnikov, the Broyles Award is for an assistant coach, the, the Butkus Award is for the best linebacker named after Dick Butkus, the Walter Camp is player of the year, um, there's the Lou Groza, which is the, the the kicking award, the Ray Guy, which is the puncher award, the Lombardi, which is the best lineman and linebacker, uh, the John Mackey award, tight end, the Maxwell award is like the Heisman, but just different than Nagurski, I think, defensive player. The Davey O'Brien is the best quarterback. The Outland Trophy is the best lineman. The Dave Rimmington is the best center. Um, and then you've got the Jim Thorpe Award, which is for the best DB, and the Doak Walker Award for the best running back. Let's pick some of the favorite ones there, Matt, and very briefly just go through um, go through um, a couple of the, the a couple of the awards there in, in terms of who you think. And I just want to start really with the essentially the defensive player and the so the, so the Bednarik and the the Nagurski awards because one of the guys that we thought would win it is not, and the Lombardi who we thought would win it is not going to win it. And that's Nick Bozer because Bozer is now out of Ohio State. He was injured a couple of weeks ago against TCU with a groin injury. We thought he would, you know, sweep up these awards, be an All-American, probably the first overall pick, depending on the quarterbacks, but, you know, in the in the draft. Injured and has decided that his future now, he's going to prepare for the draft and step away, not going to risk any further injury. He is not going to win any of these awards and he's not. we're not going to see him again on a college football field. This is a, a you know, are you shocked by this decision? Uh, not really, no. I mean, it's kind of heading that way, isn't it? Um, maybe a little bit shocked at the fact that it's it's different to, to, to kind of the McCaffrey decision, which was to not play in a ball game. Because and outside of the big CFP balls, I, I do think, and and some of the other New Year's balls are, are big as well. But I think there's a, the Jalen Smith injury in the ball game mm. when he was a potential first overall pick, ended up going second round and, and having really a career-threatening injury put, put people off. So... I could understand it if it was that. I am a little bit shocked, actually, because you have a chance to win a national championship at Ohio State. They're still unbeaten. Um, I think their ability to win a national championship was dependent on Nick Bosa coming back. And and it's a massive blow for Ohio State, but it's a massive blow for the rest of the season, especially in a year when, when Alabama look maybe more dominant than they've ever been. Although... I would say they're nowhere near as dominant on defense as they usually are. As a, as a slight caveat to that, um, I think it's I think it's a bit irritating. Um, I can understand why he's done it, but the only thing I would say is a, a lot of people talk about the loss the lost revenue. I mean, Nick Bosa, his brother's in the NFL. He could easily have got a massive insurance out on on the money that he would lose had had he got a big injury. And also, I mean, how does the groin injury change? It's not like a groin injury is going to become a, a career-ended injury, is it? So I, I, I'm I frustrated by it a little bit, and I, I disagree with it, but I'm not that surprised. I mean, I think I'm only not surprised because I think the writing was on the wall on this. It had been mooted for a few weeks, and, and we got the confirmation about it. So I, I don't know where you think it leaves college football, Simon. It... And I think it's a very rare case because Bosa is so good. And actually, I think if Joey Bosa isn't a top five pick who has been awesome in the NFL, I don't think this happens. I think mm. Nick Bosa knows having outperformed Joey at the same team 
and Joey having been one of the best defensive ends in the NFL for his first couple of years. Nick Bosa knows he's going to be a top three pick, so I think it's a really unique situation in a perfect storm, but I think it's a little frustrating as well. I agree it's frustrating, and I think it will happen occasionally, and you cite Christian McCaffrey and the Jalen Smith thing, and I think you may see more and more high draft picks, potential draft picks, stepping out of bowl games, which is annoying. Um, but I think overall, it, it, I don't think it will become a thing. I don't think it will become a trend per se. I just it uh, needs to be. It needs to be too good a player for it to yeah, become a thing. Exactly, exactly. Let's very quickly just rattle through the some of these awards. The Belitnikov, you'd say Leviska Chenault would be probably the favourite to win that. Yeah, I think nailed on favourite. I mean, provided he gets back on the field after after an, yeah, it depends. suffering an injury last week. Devin White, the LSU linebacker, the Buckers favourite, you'd think would be the favourite. Devin Bush has had a very good season as well. Those two, I would suspect, would be high up there. I, yeah, I mean, Bush has been has been awesome for Michigan, um, but I think White, White has the edge for me. At this point in the season, I mean, Devin Bush has got some massive games in, in front of national audiences to, to make up some ground there, though. Josh Allen, the Kentucky defensive end, outside linebacker, must be a favourite for the Lombardi Award. Um, yeah, especially, especially doing it for a, for a team like that, I think. I think that, that helps. Ed you, Oliver, you, you really stand out. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's difficult for Ed Oliver to put up the necessary numbers because he is he's literally triple teamed on players. So yeah. he, he's almost a, a victim of his own success in 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 terms of the awards this year. But maybe his name brand yeah. wins him. Um, I don't want to keep talking about Michigan, but Chase Vinovich is a guy who's been awesome this yeah. year as well. Like impactful in in every single game and, and on virtually every single snap and. And has has had to fill in because Rashawn Gary's been injured the last couple of weeks as well, and and become kind of the dominant man on that group. So he deserves a little mention as well. Jim, I think. Jim Thorpe Award for for the best defensive back. You'd suspect that it comes down to. Uh, I would suspect at this stage it probably comes down to one of three players from the SEC: Greedy Williams of LSU, DeAndre Baker of Georgia, and Deontay Thompson of Alabama. You can't, can't I can't see much further past those three. Yeah, I mean the, the kid at LSU, the safety whose name oh, I've completely forgotten, has been. Yeah, he's been really good as well. Yeah, he's very good. But I think it's I think it's one of those SEC guys. Yeah. Um, I can't immediately think of a of a guy at another team who who really stands out. And I don't think there's any Brandon Jones maybe no, at Texas has played well. He'd, yeah, he'd be in the mix. Yeah, Texas's defense is what you yeah. you kind of don't think about Texas's defense, but actually that's what's really powered them to this revival. So yeah. I think it'll come from one of those big, big yeah. name teams. And then Darrell Henderson has to. I mean, if he hasn't won the Dope Walker Award already for the best running back, then something's wrong. Because I mean, he's, especially with. I mean, Jonathan Taylor's had a good year, yeah. but it's not been an amazing year. And Bryce Love has really not had any. Henderson's like the had. Year that was Henderson's had. Yeah, Henderson's had three two hundred yard games. He's averaging ten point nine yards per carry. He's already rushed for one thousand one hundred and thirty three yards this season. It's a. It is astonishing. Don't forget then, you, we have talked about these games uh, ad infinitum, as it were, uh, in terms of preview. And uh, you you can review the games with the Clancy on campus. Uh, um, review of the weekend, uh, which should be out next Monday. There'll be a little video, video preview up tomorrow, or this evening or tomorrow, in terms of some of the games you should look out for over the weekend. And don't forget, you can obviously sign up to ESPN Player 
extensive coverage of college football all season and and really now we are into the absolute meat of the season you cannot afford to lose a game now if you want to if you have ambitions of uh, uh, of a national championship or a college playoff and potentially even a you know a conference title 700 games they've got this season in terms of live and on demand so you can go back to week one week three week six and watch a game it will be there three channel simulcast as well direct from the us including espnu the sec network and the longhorn network plus access to a phenomenal range of great documentaries from the ESPN Films catalogue, including pretty much all the 30, 30 for 30s you could think of. I, 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 every week I come back and say, I've watched this, I watched, I watched rewatched Elway to Marino the other night, which is just superb. And, and the, I mean, it's superb because it's just a great story. It's superb because they've got all the main players on it, apart from Tony Eason, but all the quarterbacks are there. But what they do best of all is that they sit... Um, Marvin Demoff, who was the agent for Dan Marino and John Elway, who, uh, and it's built essentially around his diaries that he kept at the time. But they sit him in the ballroom where the draft took place back in 1983, and they do the room out in exactly the same way. It looks exactly the same as it was back in 83. It just is great. It's just such a, if you haven't seen it, it is superb. ESPNU, if that wasn't enough, when you sign up, you get a free seven day trial. I mentioned earlier on Clemson NC State. Um, LSU, Mississippi State, both games on on ESPN player this weekend. Fantastic stuff. Matthew, that is it. Good luck with your men of Michigan. Uh, Florida State play Wake Forest, so God only knows what will happen with, their, with that, and we shall be back next week. We will. Well, I will. I'll be back with Ollie Hunter next week, so I would enjoy your holiday. I'll be on my holidays, ladies and gentlemen. The next two times you hear me and Simon, we will be coming at you from Michigan, and probably East Lansing, Green Green, Green Bay or East Lansing. We need a, I, so. I need a big coat. If anybody uh, hashtag big coat, uh, anybody <laughs> has got any good advice? D- genuine question: Shall I buy a coat here or shall I buy one in the US? I've bought one, Simon. Right, interesting. I'll send you a photo of it later on. No, oh, crikey, crikey! We'll <laughs> I won't be in it. <laughs> Thanks for listening. See you next week. Cheers, buddy. Nice one, pal. Awesome. Do you want to flip that over to the big man?